Before we get started, I want to tell you about the sponsor for this week's episode. AB Jets is a great story and great company. I'm not exactly flying around on private jets during this stage of my life, but if I were, I'd be calling AB Jets. They're one of the safest private air companies in the world. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. AB Jets is one of the largest Lear 60 jet companies in the United States with nonstop access to most destinations around the U.S. Efficient, clean, and easy to work with, AB Jets is an experience that gets you where you need to go on time and with no hassle. Go to abjets.com for more information and book your trip today or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S. This podcast is also sponsored by My Story. Have you ever thought about what if you could have your own audio and video interview for someone you love to keep and share for generations to come? What better way to keep and remember the life and story of someone you love than your loved one's own interview in their own voice? This is the perfect way to make sure your loved one's story stays with their descendants for future generations to come. Go to mystorytold.org to learn more. Again, that's mystorytold.org to learn more. Now we're going to get back to the show. You know, I had, um, you know, time in the hospital, time away from work, so unable to work for a while and had a chance to, to reassess my life and decide, was I on the right track? Was I doing what I wanted to do? And what would I do different going forward? And, you know, I decided to take more risks in my career. I, I decided that I wanted to be a CEO one day. I wanted to, you know, I, I wasn't going to stay inside a big company, wait my turn uh, for a spot up the pyramid. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to share a few things about the value with this week's episode. Over the last 20 months, the world has been in a unique place. There's been a record number of people quitting their jobs, and our country's supply chain has been challenged in extreme ways. Even with these challenges, 
there are men and women across the United States committed to buckling down and producing the things that we utilize on a daily basis. Even with all these obstacles, there's been tremendous demand and increased opportunity. My guest today is Andrew Green. Andrew is the CEO of Parkway Products. Parkway is a national injection molding company across the United States and Mexico. After spending the first 16 years of his career with the multi-billion dollar publicly listed company, Sunoco, Andrew decided to take a different path where he wanted to take some risks and become a CEO one day. This is a jam-packed high-value episode where you'll learn what it's like having a significant life experience and reevaluating is this the path you want to be on the rest of your life. What about the people that have a passion for manufacturing? Without us, the service economy would not exist. There's a benefit of being backed by private equity. When the model works, you almost can't grow fast enough. Adapting to change. Why robotics and automation creates more opportunity for those willing to learn and evolve. And much more. Please enjoy this week's episode with Andrew Green. Andrew, great to see you. Thanks for joining me this afternoon. Yeah, thank you. Great to see you. Man, so you've been in manufacturing right at 20 years at this point. Is that right? Yeah. Um, time gets away from me, but but uh, it's been every bit of 20, 20 years, probably closer to 24 at this point. <laughs> My math was off, but you know, I know that you've led in large private equity manufacturing-backed companies. You've led in large public manufacturing companies. And I'm just curious, I know now Parkway, where your CEO has 10 locations you know, around the United States and then you know, one location of that in Mexico. I'm just curious about the last 12 months. I'm curious about this environment today. Is this the most challenging environment that you've been in in that 24 years? It is. It's, it's been most the most challenging because I think the most important thing uh, about running a business is um, are, are all the people aspects of that business, right? Whether it's uh, re- recruiting, um, hiring, uh, retaining, uh, engaging uh, your people in the business. I think this last 12 months has been especially challenging in that regard. And because people are so important in building your business, it has been. There, there's been um, just the, the whole challenge of, of COVID and, and the, uh, the, the, the challenge to, to keep your people safe. Uh, at the same time, stay engaged with those people behind masks, behind lots of new protocols. There's been um, uh, a tremendous flux in, in business, so in manufacturing, right? We've had quite the, quite the, um, the bullwhip happen in the supply chain. Right. And, and um, it, it's been a magnitude, you know, having demand just, just, just fall and not knowing what, where, where, uh, where that demand was going to level out all of a sudden to see the economy take off with an amount of stimulus and juice that uh, is driving durable goods up. You know, that demand, that demand for durable goods being up something like 30% year over year has been a, a real challenge to, to try to respond to that. All the flexibility that you hope to achieve in your business by building great, robust processes, all of that's been tested. The people in, the, in, in, 
and those processes have been stretched. You, you've had to count on them, and 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 in in, in some cases, uh, it was it was overwhelming to them. So helping them through that, helping them through that change has been uh, has been a real challenge, and it, it's a, it's a challenge of, of leadership. Yeah. So I know you spent the first ten years of your career, ten plus at Sunoco, which has twenty one thousand employees, right? And it's publicly traded. And then after that, you went to Caveras, and then you helped handle the acquisition to TC Transcontinental. Is that right? Yeah, I handled. Um, it was a in that case, it was a divestiture. Right? We were selling the business, and and yes, I was part of that group that sold uh, from Caveras to TC Transcontinental. Right, and that was a packaging piece, and that had eight thousand employees. From what I saw, is that right? Coveras had, had 8,000 people. Uh, North America Food and Consumer had closer to 2,000. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just curious. You're coming in. You know, you're working with Parkway right now. You come in as CEO, and it's a little bit smaller than what you've come in in the past. You've had a long career in this. You started out from what I saw in a plant in Mexico, and then you took over a plant manager and then worked your way up to general manager. So you've come in on the ground on the ground level, and you've worked with some good size, very large organizations, and you come over and, and take over this organization, you know, with 10 locations, a good size company, you have ambitious plans to grow, but, you know, right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I'm just curious if there's anything that we could talk about that would be valuable that you come in with this experience, being a part of these organizations, large organizations, you know, a lot of people in them, a lot of demands, a lot of pressure, and then you're right in the middle of this environment. Is there anything about coming into this space and how you try to read the environment that you're in and try to help support and invest in the people that you're leading while also, to some degree, being in environments where there was a lot more pressure, but then obviously coming in where there's you know, huge swings like with what you're talking about with durable goods and, and just these demands from the clients that y'all have, and then not to mention all the regulations and all the things with COVID and reacting to that. What can you speak to on that? I think regardless of the size of the operation, having many operations inside uh, an existing company creates a level of complexity and creates a need for process and process flexibility that is there whether you're uh, operating small plants or large plants. So while Parkway isn't nearly so large as, say, Coveras Americas was in terms of our top line, having a, having a large group of plants is having a large group of plants. You need to have uh, the same processes to integrate uh, that business so that it acts as one business, uh, you know, so, so sort of a one, a one Parkway strategy emerges so that you can uh, have a level of, of flexibility necessary to uh, respond to the local conditions, demands, hiring practices, turnover, uh, statistics, um, specific competitors and wages in a market, you know, all of that, all of that specific stuff, you have to be very, you have to be very responsive to that at, at the same time, have a, a, a level of uh, of process standardization that brings brings things together and keeps you acting as one business, not allow a bunch of little 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 businesses in in a 
in an organization that lacks focus. So I guess I guess the interesting thing to me is that even though Parkway is a is a smaller business, it's still a very complex business because of the challenge of operating across geographies. And uh, uh, we're in Mexico as well, so you've got you know some of the same um, challenges in terms of language and and, and and culture as well. So so I think um, it's been very interesting and in many ways a uh, a great use of previous experience to say this is what this type of organization needs from a communication standpoint, from a a leadership uh, approach in terms of messaging. Um, uh, for, say, a one-parkway philosophy, uh, some process standardization, using some of the same techniques to integrate the businesses uh, so that we really are one cohesive uh, organization that can uh, respond quickly, decisively to the local conditions and local, local needs. Yeah. When you're coming in and you're looking at you know any environment, and I also know you have experience in taking over different divisions or analyzing just capital reinvestment into key growth areas within you know larger operations and things. So it seems like you're able to dissect things, and you, you kind of have a diverse amount of experience doing that in a lot of different environments. When you're coming into an environment like with what we're talking about here, are there top two or three things that when you're coming in and having a fresh detached look at something and then also experiencing 30% growth on demand in a very challenging and stressful environment, what are you trying to focus on or what are you trying to nail to make sure to get it right, to give you the runway that you need to continue to kind of implement the longer term change that you're looking to achieve? I think I'm trying to nail two-way communication, being able to, to communicate the strategy in a way that touches everybody that uh, rings true with people. I mean, that's, that's a leader-led process that gets, gets you out into the plants, out into the, um, the, the environment where you can touch people in person. It's, um, it, it's, it's, it's town halls, it's communications. Um, you know, we put together a podcast to, 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 try to, to try to help us with that, use some technology to do that. Uh, that was a great tool. But I think, I think that, I, I, think, I think you have to listen. And so uh, you, have to, you have to have lots of ways where you take the pulse of the culture. You know, we, we, do, we do culture surveys. We do, um, uh, we've got hotlines. We, we, we do, uh, you know, survey monkey type answer this one or two question thing to try to understand where our people are. And, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's also uh, being available, having doors open listening, making sure that, uh, that, that at times when, when you're having those crucial conversations that not only do you listen, you make sure that that, that, that that person that you're hearing knows you're listening and knows that you've heard them. So we're, we're, we're using all sorts of different ways and techniques to do that, but it's good two-way con- communication at the heart of things, right? So it's a very old-fashioned idea that might take the form of new technology, right? So, uh, so for example, we're trying to get our message out to people using geofenced, targeted ads and, and communications on their telephones. Yeah. Right? You're not trying to do anything uh, terribly revolutionary. You're just trying to do it in a new way that somebody that, 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 uh, that communicates through a handheld device 
you know, uh, gets <laughs> and sees and responds to, you know, the, the, the new generations of manufacturing workers uh, feel a lot more comfortable with certain types of technology where they can, you know, you're, you may not be having a phone call. You may be, this may all be done um, via, via text and via something that looks to them like it's a social media app. Yeah. And, and so you're, 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 you're trying to do the same things that you always done, but you're trying to do it fast. You're trying to do a lot of it. You're trying to, 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 to constantly keep the pulse because things are changing so fast. So, so I give you two, two way communication as one. And, and what else are we trying to nail? We're trying to nail our, our people strategy in all shapes and forms, because truly it is the best team that wins the best team that's the most adaptable, the best team that rises to the challenge and and, uh, and serves a customer that has an unmet need. Did you have any idea that it would be this challenging? Take it a little bit over a year ago when you stepped in. No. No, I mean, I, 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 I didn't know what to expect. You know, I, 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 think, uh, I think most people would have said at the time that they didn't know when the man was coming back. That you know we were going to uh, we were going to experience diminished demand and and that would happen uh, and it would be down for 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 a good period of time. Nobody was betting on growth in 2021. I don't think I don't think uh, I, and certainly not really hot growth, right? Yeah, we didn't know we were going to be in an inflationary environment. We we thought that interest rates would be low for a long long time. All of those expectations have changed quite a bit. Have people's needs changed from two decades ago of leadership and people's needs, or have you just seen it change how you reach those people and how you connect with them? And that's what's changed. I think what's changed is more the situation and the terrain, if you will, than the people themselves. So, so for example, we have, we have tons of turnover in 2021 as a manufacturing sector than we have in, in prior years. Why, why is that, right? Uh, why is it that, um, that, that, that that's happening? Um, is it because people have fundamentally changed or is it because uh, they now have greater opportunities than they've ever had before? Well, it's probably some of both. Certainly having, having uh, uh, some uh, time off in some cases to look at, to step back and look at what they do and decide, do I really want to do that for the remainder of my career? I mean, I think that does, that does lead to people assessing, assessing their, their, their situation and saying, you know, yes or no to that question of that's what I want to do or, or, or that's not what I want to do. So I think there's some of that. I think largely it's because, yeah, um, there's just so many, so many other opportunities out there that people have a whole world of, of choices and they perhaps more choices than they've ever had. But I think it's still mainly the case that you get what you deserve in some sense as a business that treats people right, where people want to come to work, they want to work and do the kind of jobs you have. They want to, they want to be treated the way you treat people. They, they, they like the, um, the overall compensation package, the benefits. They, 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 uh, they want to be able to take care of their 
responsibilities and their loved ones. So, you know, I think some of that stuff is truly timeless where leading people and doing it right is just all that much more important when people can choose, yeah. uh, feel, feel empowered, uh, feel like they have lots of options. You know, I saw in the, in the newspaper over the weekend, the Wall Street Journal was reporting record numbers of quits. More people have quit their job in 2021 than ever before. They haven't seen, they haven't seen this level of changing jobs ever in the past. So in a sense, that's new. But at the same time, the idea of having a compelling value proposition for your employees to choose to work where you work in your company is not new at all. Yeah. It's not new at all. In fact, I look at Parkway and I, I point back 75 years ago at you know the, the founding philosophy of the company. And this business has lasted 75 years because the original founders understood this. How have you learned to push the tempo and almost require people to be very uncomfortable while also prioritizing them first and trying to create the best ex- atmosphere you can for them in the company while dealing with some of the most well-known brands around the world? Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a great question. And, and, and my belief is that you make it about the customer, right? So you make it about the thing that's, that's near and dear to, to um, uh, manufacturing people's heart, which is we've got to take care of this customer. We have a relationship with, the, with, these, with this customer. There's a, there's a person just like me on the other end of receiving this who needs this. Um, they need this to make their, their process work. They need this to uh, run their business, what have you. You know, at each level, you can make that connection. And making it about the customer is something that, that people, they, they, they understand. They get that. And especially when you've been doing business with that customer uh, for uh, many years and you've got a relationship that goes beyond the transaction, there's, there's true commitment behind making sure that your customer is in every bit as good a shape as you can, as you can uh, secure for them or supply to them. And the pace, uh, in, in a sense, uh, takes care of itself because they, the, your, 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 uh, your people know what they need and what their customer needs um, to be successful uh, most of the time. You got to communicate that. You got to make sure that they're aware of it. You know, there's lots of, there's lots of good ways to do that. But when you make it about the customer, that pace question tends to go well because you're not asking them to do it for your bottom line. You're not asking them to do it for you. You're not asking them to do it for, you know, some reason that they can't quite, uh, that's not quite tangible to them. You're asking them to do it for their customer. And I think they get that. Yeah. What about for you? What's personally kept you drawn into this space for close to 25 years when you could have a lot of options to do a lot, to run a lot of different things? What's kept you in manufacturing? Obviously manufacturing, there's a lot of perceived opportunity or legit perceived opportunity coming down the road with automation and robotics and just, and then also how to, when you look at the creation of jobs off of that, the creation of production, which the best companies will then increase income and opportunity. And I mean, even you look at, obviously there's been 
there's a lot of inflation going on right now and there's been a lot of stimulus, but you look at consumer spending and you look about, you know, the increase in the market, the way that you've described it. So it's, it's a, it's a very tough space, very stressful space. And you're dealing with a lot of demands and you're dealing with some of the biggest companies in the world. But it sounds like a space that, you know, obviously you've been in for close to 25 years, but it sounds like a space that you're trying to build the best company you can and the people that are in it are committed to it. And you're trying to figure out ways how to do it better and take care of them better and better each year. But what do you think's kept you in it personally? I think what's kept me in it is the same thing that got, got me into it. Uh, I mean, I remember coming out of business school and, and many of my peers were going into other, other industries. Um, in fact, there, was, there were a bunch that were going straight into consulting. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, I, I, I really, I mean, a service industry is, is, um, is a good fit for, for many, many people. But I, I've known that my fit was in manufacturing since, since day one in manufacturing. It's so tangible. It's creating products that solve needs that are uh, unquestionably in demand and and making making, uh, solving problems, making products better, meeting people's needs. And, And, you know, it starts to get corny at some point, but it really does make society better. It really does add value in a way that I don't think other 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 industries often do. I mean, without a manufacturing economy, a lot of the service economy couldn't exist. Uh, I, I remember um, I, I, same same business school. You know, we were we. You know, one of one of my one of my friends' uh, fathers came to campus and took us out to eat, and we were we were and he he was a lawyer, and uh, he he was uh, talking to one of our one of our friends that had, was getting. Uh, uh, a joint uh, MBA JD degree, <laughs> and, uh, and and he was basically congratulating him for saying, "Hey, look, you know, when when I started as a lawyer, there was uh, there was one of me for every every uh, every ten of you guys, <laughs> and now and now wherever I go, it feels like there's ten lawyers for every for every good business to to do to do legal work for." I mean, I know that's not true, and I know those aren't the real numbers, but but the sense that the manufacturing economy builds America and builds our builds great jobs that beget other jobs and 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 help us um, make our way over way of life a reality. I mean, it's 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 work that I find a lot of meaning in. So I say, what do you think's kept you personally so focused on the output on creating so much opportunity? you know, in the United States versus getting caught up in solely getting caught up in stock options or large incentives, you know, most of the things you hear about, because the way you describe it, at the end of the day, you've taken over this company as CEO. It's a great company. It's a large company. Obviously, it depends on how you define that, but you got 10 locations, now in the United States, one around Mexico, and you're building the infrastructure to continue to take it to the next level and create as much value to your customers as possible and also create as much opportunity for your own employees as possible. So you're putting in the foundations of, of, and it sounds like COVID without even really understanding what's ahead for the next 12 to 18 months, but it's just accelerated the amount of 
momentum that you have. But at the end of the day, you, you seem committed to the process. You seem committed to the systems, setting those up, executing those. And, you know, you don't, money really hadn't come up at this point. And I know obviously everybody likes to get paid. Everybody likes to get paid well for what they do. But what's kept you committed to the work itself versus being caught up in all these other things? Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great question. I, uh, I feel very blessed to do the work I do. I mean, I, I make a nice living. You know, I don't want for money. I can send my kids to cut to college and, and, uh, you know, I, I can, I can do the things that I want to do in my life and take care of my responsibilities. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to Parkway for that. I'm thankful to, you know, imagine and, and, uh, TC and Coveros and Sunoco before them, you know, that, that they've all, they've all, um, helped me, um, secure a living for myself and good things for my family. So that's great. I feel like I have enough. I mean, I, 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 uh, and, and at some point you have to ask yourself, what is, what is success to you? And I, the way I see it, by helping your organization grow and change and be successful, you can help a lot of people. And, and you know, my mission is to do that through leadership of business, right? And, um, you know, something that I, um, I hope and, 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 and uh, strive for every day is to make this business better for everybody that works in it. And, you know, we're trying to, to, to be a true benefit to many, many people, uh, trying to be a true benefit to our customers, uh, trying to help uh, our customers and our people take care of their, their customers and their people and their loved ones. And, um, and I, feel, um, I feel an obligation to, um, uh, to, to sort of pay it forward to everybody. And I'm, I'm happy to be in this position. I love what I do. And... You know, if if somebody said, Andrew, you know, you got a you got a terminal disease, and and this time next year you're not going to be uh, alive and well on this earth, I think I'd still be working here tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I think I'd still be wanting to do what I do. I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I feel like there's a great alignment with who I am, what I'm doing, who I'm doing it with, where I'm doing it, and uh, I wouldn't wouldn't change it. So. Yeah, I'm in manufacturing. I've been in manufacturing for for a couple dozen years, and and no regrets. I wouldn't do it any different. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we have people like you, because put me in that role, and we're not getting our products. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how, how how if you had to do it, you figure it out. Yeah, well, I can get stuff done, but you know, <laughs> the engineering brain and the process, day in day out keep me away from that stuff. Uh, I'll get it done, but stealth mode. Was it always that clear for you or was there a shift? There was a shift. Can you talk about that? Honestly, you're, you're, you, the, the story is a bit, is a bit, uh, it's a bit dramatic. All right. Okay. Uh, but uh, a number of years ago, I was in an accident and, and, and essentially I, um, I burned myself over about 27% of my body. Jeez. I was, uh, I was cooking on a, in an outdoor kitchen and I, I was basically blown up, you know, by a, by a, in the grill. All right. Like by the propane tank. It, it was natural gas. Okay. Uh, it was, a, it was a natural gas outdoor kitchen where, uh, and, and this was at the beach. 
right on some brackish water. I couldn't even smell the natural gas, uh, really, uh, because of the odor in that in that in that area. And it was uh, there was a leak underneath the grill, and as I was cooking, it was spilling out underneath this island. And when I flipped when I flipped the meat, there was a flare up that lit lit off um, uh, a bomb underneath underneath <laughs> underneath the grill. Yeah. So I mean, I'm thankful that my my you know nobody was hurt but me. Yeah. And and it turned out to be um, you know sort of a turning point in my life. But so I had a lot of unplanned downtime. <laughs> You know, I had, um, you know, time in the hospital, time away from work, so unable to work for a while and, and just um, had a chance to, to, to reassess my life and decide, was I on the right track? Was I doing what I wanted to do? Uh, and, and what would I do different going forward? And, you know, I decided to take more risks in my career. I, I decided that, you know, that I wanted to, I wanted to, to be a CEO one day. I wanted to, you know, I, I wasn't going to stay inside a big company, wait my turn uh, for a spot up the pyramid, you know, that, that I needed, I needed to, to, to grow by doing, I needed to, to um, take some of the background I had, uh, had gained and achieved, you know, and, and that I would set out and, 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 and chart a, a course independently and and uh, that that's what took me from Sunoco and, and and brought me eventually to be here. And Sunoco, look, it's a great company, and they made uh, terrific investments uh, in me. I, I worked for them for sixteen years, actually, and and I did nine different jobs in that time. I got international experience. I got uh, experience in quality and production and supervision and and, and, and management. Uh, great. Uh, opportunities to to, uh, to to grow and develop. But at, at some point, I needed to decide, am I going to be a, a sort of a company guy? Or am I going to, am I going to um, be an independent thinker and leader and, and, and go out and seek opportunities rather than letting an organization let me choose from what it would offer me? And, and that, that event uh, was probably the, the biggest increment of change that I've had in my thinking and in my career. Uh, around being burned and, uh, and around re- reassessing where I was and what I wanted to do. Uh, it was also a great time for me in my personal life. I mean, I, I developed uh, a lot more spiritually. I developed um, uh, an appreciation that for what I had, a, a, a much better attitude of, um, of being grateful for everything um, that, that was coming my way. And I, I became much closer to my wife and kids decided I didn't want to travel nearly as much as I had. So overall, it, it, you know, it, it looked like a, a real challenge coming in my life and it turned out to be a, a blessing in, in disguise. So I think a lot of, uh, a lot of your, some of your inflection points and your best moments in life come from your challenges and the, the difficulties that you have to endure and decide, okay, how am I going to handle this? You know, what, what am I going to do with, uh, with this, um, problem with an opportunity hidden inside it. Yeah, it's a really good story. Hey, everybody. We're going to take a quick pause here from the show and hear a word from one of our sponsors. After that, we'll get back to the show. Do you want to make efficient use with your time? Now more than ever, traveling hassle-free is harder to find. AB Jets is one of the safest private air companies in the world with impeccable service 
with nonstop access to most destinations around the USA. AB Jets has received the prestigious Argus Platinum rating the last eight consecutive years, which goes to less than 5% of operators in the world. Bypass the hassle and get an AB Jets jet card that gets you 10 or 25-hour flight options that makes your experience hassle-free. AB Jets carries up to eight passengers and is one of the largest Lear 60 operators in the U.S. Go to abjets.com for more information or call them at 888-520-JETS. That's J-E-T-S to travel on your own terms. This podcast is also sponsored by My Story. Have you ever thought about what if you could have your own audio and video interview for someone you love to keep and share for generations to come? What better way to keep and remember the life and story of someone you love than your loved one's own interview in their own voice? This is the perfect way to make sure your loved one's story stays with their descendants for future generations to come. Go to mystorytold.org to learn more. Again, that's mystorytold.org to learn more. Now we're going to get back to the show. I'm curious. So, you know, you've shared with me outside of this interview, your plans for Parkway and the company you're leading now, but you referenced a company man and you reference, I mean, you're respectful and grateful and complimentary of everything you learned, but you said, you know, I wanted to be an independent thinker and I wanted to take some risks. You know, in today's environment, I'm curious, is there anything from your past experience that you're trying to do differently to create opportunity, creativity, and advancement for the company you have now coming from a place before where you felt that you wanted to kind of take some risks and get out on your own, still lead a large company, but shake things up a little bit. Is there anything you can speak to there? That's a great question. Um, I think you got to keep give people room for growth. I mean, in, in your succession planning and in your uh, development plans for people, uh, my belief is that you get most of your growth and development by doing. So, you know, there's some piece that you get by formal education. There's some piece that you get from, you know, met mentoring. Uh, but most of what you're going to get, you're going to get from doing. So you, you have to have a, a, a process in, in people and organizational planning that allows for that. That's going to take, take some calculated risks, going to, going to bet on people to, to stretch and do, uh, do more. They have to be calculated risks, right? They, they can't, you, you can't do that, um, without a lot of thought, but. I believe in betting on on uh, on people that show have shown that uh, uh, they're smart, they're committed, and and, and um, you know they they deliver. Uh, I think betting on them to do more is something that you have to allow for in your in your people processes. It's it's tempting sometimes to to, to look on the outside and bring in somebody that's been there and done that, and 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 obviously there are times and places where that is the right decision. Um, but as much as you can, giving people opportunities to grow inside your business is, is a really good idea. And are you saying to kind of bring this piece full circle, the right people are there and they want to do it. You're just trying to reach them and, and make sure you're understood. 
the strategy is clear. So then the people that believe in it and that are engaged and want the opportunity and want to excel in their craft, they're going to be able to benefit from that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you look around and, and, uh, and people that are, that are not considered leaders at work may have terrific leadership potential and be leading in, in different aspects of their life. You know, they might be uh, uh, a coach, they might be a referee, they might be on the PTA, they might be a deacon in the church, they might take a leader, leadership position in, in a, an environmental um, uh, interest or what have you. Uh, people are out uh, engaged in their life finding meaning and, and, and a lot of them are leading. And, and it's, it's, um, it, it's, our, it's our job, you know, as leaders of a business to find those people that are natural leaders who want to lead, who have a passion about something and plug them into opportunities where they can do that same thing um, at work and, and, uh, and find fulfillment there. You know, and it, it's sad when people check, uh, check uh, they punch their card and metaphorically, you know, they punch into work and, and they're not seen as a leader and they punch out and they go lead some, lead some uh, organization that they're passionate about. And that talent, that, that capability was missed in the workplace. That's a, that's a shame. Could somebody do, could handle the role that you're in? Could they do it effectively if they did not start out on the ground level in some sort of capacity? You know, I, I don't know. If they didn't didn't start out on the ground in some capacity, they would they would need to, to to have some other way or some some way of their own to understand the needs of all the stakeholders involved in a in a manufacturing business. There are there are, there are many ways they might do that. One of them is is um, is hands on personal experience for sure. But are there other ways to do it? Yeah, maybe I don't know. Well, the reason I just asked. You know, I've just been a part of a lot of different things, but the way you've described it here and the way I've seen, you know, outside of this interview, you've come in and you're you're very intentional about building lines of communication. You're very intentional about trying to look from a detached perspective at processes, at, you know, all these different things to try to increase communication, collaboration, and then to also engage people in a deeper way. And it seems easy to where if somebody's kind of an outside thinker or, you know, outside personality, a vacuum could be created. And it seems just from the way you described in this interview, you've been very intentional about inside out. And I, I would assume that experience could only be through something similar in a different space or something like this, the way you've seen it from every aspect of the operation. So that's how I got to that question, that's where I was coming from. Yeah, I think that's mostly the way, but it's not necessarily the, the only way. I mean, you're, you're talking to somebody who's got a pretty analytical personality. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sort of an analytical driver type of person, but, uh, but there are far more intuitive people who are, um, you know, far more adept at, at um, Bouncing things off of people and and and, and building collaborative networks and and and, and doing it differently. So yes. just holding out that possibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think anybody brings their strengths to work and, and tries to use those strengths the best they can in, in their particular role. And there's lots of good ways to get the job done. 
and 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 on on my team, I I need to I need to to have uh, a group of people that don't all think the same way, so that I can get coverage on things that are blind spots to me, and and uh, you know the best teams uh, have very complementary skill sets and personalities and management styles. Yeah, I'm curious if you can speak to you know things as we look into the future from an investment in automation and robotics and things like that, technology, better accuracy. A, what what have you learned how to do it well when you are CEO of a company that is private equity backed to try to be a good partner with all stakeholders, but then B, try to invest into the company for future growth and opportunity. Whereas somebody, let's say that's funded by a large private family office or something like that, they might, it might be a different experience in certain ways. Can you say anything to maybe what you're doing to continue to build for the future and invest in your people and your processes for future growth and opportunity while also kind of doing it and being a good teammate with all stakeholders involved? Yeah. So one of the things I like about private equity and, and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm back in private equity a third time now is that is that having capital to deploy and, and, and being able to deploy it quickly is something that private equity really prides itself on. So, you know, I, I've learned a lot about that over the years. And, and um, you, you, you can show uh, automation to be a good investment. And in the world of private equity, if you show something uh, to be a good investment, you almost can't go fast enough. Um, once once it's a once it's a good idea and a good investment, um, you're behind. <laughs> um, so um, that's a great aspect of working in, in private equity because you can make you can make investments, you can bring about change in a business um, as quickly as your resources can handle um, the implementation. So I guess uh, you know what I've learned is looking at benchmarks in the industry, looking looking. Uh, you know, so we, we have a reasonable degree of automation, but do we do we have the best automation? Are we are we world class? Are we are we the industry leading in terms of the way we deploy it? I think I think you have to look at your business itself, but I think you also have to look uh, through the eyes of uh, people with industry scope and industry breadth of industry knowledge. And, you know, so uh, so having some valuable outside perspectives on that question I think has been very valuable to me you know putting in um, putting in some time with an industry trade group and, and and sitting at round tables and and discussing where you know how people are doing it best where where it's being done best you know those are those are those are valuable experiences for me uh, and I think I think the intersection of say automation and um, IT, Internet of Things type type uh, perspectives can come from outside the industry, where there are industries that are that are much further down the path of doing that. Um, that can can help you see the future and see where you need to go. So, what I would say to 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 to, to myself a year ago would be, Hey Andrew, you know you're, you're going to see you're going to see a level of automation inside your business. And you need to very quickly um, uh, put that in the perspective of your industry and then put that in the perspective of uh, industries that are more cutting edge than yours 
to see where you might go. And, um, you know, so I'm a year into this job. I've been, been working on this and, um, and, you know, I don't know that I could have gotten into it, do it any sooner, but, but certainly the advice from my onboarding plan would have been specific to automation, look at automation and, and tee that up in your first 90 days and, 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 uh, understand the, the, the need for that. Yeah. What about from an opportunity standpoint, obviously, you know, times we live in right now, everybody feels the pain. I mean, I was at, <laughs> went to the grocery store Sunday morning and line was out the wazoo and everybody, I mean, literally I could hear multiple voices in line talking about how nobody wants to work anymore and uh, complaining about how long the, the lines were. Obviously there's a lot of data we can share to go into more concrete detail about that, but there's always been this negativity or pessimism about automation, robotics and everything. What I've seen, you know, with the different companies that I've been able to be around and see is it's, it's create productivity. It's creating, it's helping people's bodies uh, to a certain degree. It's helping stay up with revenue growth. And there's a report that MIT came out with in 2020, just kind of addressing these fears, but how when done right, it creates economic opportunity and it's not necessarily just going to create disparity with the right organizations and with the right companies. Is there anything that you can speak to maybe that you've seen or, or trying to figure out from your end as y'all are, as you're very much a systems thinker and from the way you described it here that y'all have got a good partner and you're investing into productivity, efficiency, all these things to how to bring more opportunity to the people on the front line that are doing the work. Yeah. I think there are people who, who, who have a lot of fear about the, the role of technology in, in the economy and in people's lives. And then I think there's a lot of people that play on that fear. I, I think a lot of that is largely nonsense. I think the truth is much more in the, in, in the idea that we use technology to make our, our lives and jobs better. And overall, that will be a good thing for the economy and for most people. And, and, and there might be some people that don't embrace change, but at the same time, you know, I, I look out on our plant floor and see the robotics that take, uh, you know, part out of the mold. And, you know, formally, the people that, 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 that we employ have much better quality of their job, uh, enjoy their work much more, and, um, and, and appreciate the opportunity to, to, to have some automation, make their job easier. And oh, by the way, wages are going up. And the only way to, 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 to you know, the way that people get paid what they want to be paid and, and, and do more is because of the productivity that can be achieved with tools like automation. So I, I really think it's a win-win. I don't see it in a, I don't see it as a win-lose or I don't see it in a dualistic way. I think it, I think there's plenty of ways to, bring it together so that it's good for good for everybody. It, it might be a different job, but for somebody to be a process technician rather than an operator and be, um, be able to think about how this, uh, this co-robotics tool uh, working next to them does its work, improve on the work of that co-robot so that you can do other things. I think that makes that guy's job a lot more valuable, uh, helps that person um, grow uh, their own skills, uh, helps them be paid more, helps them 
go on and and uh, and take the next step to the next thing. And that's that's how it doesn't leave people behind because we grow with it. We we uh, we, we we grow right through that curve and continue to 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 to, to learn and develop. The the people that are going to be left behind are the people that are going to make up their minds that they don't want to to learn something new. They don't want to they don't want to work in that environment or or take on a, a new challenge. And and when you when you decide that you're going to stop changing, you've made a bad decision. Oftentimes, that will result in in uh, in, in, a, in an unfavorable outcome for you. But with the right leadership, where you try to make that change, you know, less scary, more uh, more more palatable to people. I think uh, I think you can help them through that, and they'll they'll embrace it. So you see that all the time out in our plants. And, and literally, I don't know a single person that, that 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 feels like their job is threatened or would be would be uh, would be better if you had a person, you know, trying to trying to trying to pull a, a part out of a hot bowl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what have you seen that you can speak to operating a lot of your plants in rural areas and having to compete with even larger operations, what have you learned about how to continue to keep up with the employment that you need to continue to, to meet the needs of these clients that you have yeah. around the United States and Mexico? So um, we, we, we know we need a great employee value proposition. I think we have one. We've certainly changed it and, and improved it over the past year, right? There is a, there is a, a necessary element of pay. I mean, we, we do not... We do not make the, I mean, the, the, the market for talent is what it is in your area. And, and it's not that this is a, a new learning, but it's, it's a reminder to just stay really disciplined on your process where, you know, if, if for example, you know, we, we, we want to pay between the 50th and 60th percentile of wages for starting manufacturing employees in our area. We don't get to choose what, what that band of 50 to 60% is, but we have to, we have to be there. We have to stay inside that band um, to let all the good things that are inside a, a parkway operation speak for themselves and win somebody's heart and mind. But you can't, you, you know, you, you can't do that if you're, if you're below the midpoint of, uh, of the market, people, people have an economic reality that they, they have to take a look at when, when um, when you get out of the when you get out of the right range, you know there are jobs that we've moved into the sixty to seventieth percentile range because we we deem them to be key technology jobs that that um, that that's that's a key skill that you know we want to we want to even do better than that. So you you, you got to give yourself a chance in terms of remaining competitive on wages, and you don't get to choose that. You have to you have to then make some critical decisions on what you can make up in terms of improved productivity, uh, what you can, what you can't, what you have to pass through to a customer, and those are those are hard conversations if you if and when you have to have them. Uh, but um, have a great employee proposition, have a um, a pay philosophy that that uh, that makes sense uh, that that you stick with and you're really disciplined about. And then, and then it's just a matter of making sure that you're getting data points frequently enough so that that market doesn't move on you without you knowing it. Yeah, I hear you. And you're saying 
and then build it from the inside out in the best way that you possibly can. And then you'll be able to buckle down and just yeah. might not have everything you want, but you'll have everything that you can have. And, and, and look, we were, um, there's, there's, there are very few jobs left inside Parkway that are, that are less than 15 bucks an hour. The idea that, um, you know, we would need some kind of a minimum wage of, 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 of $15 an hour is, is almost beside the point at this point. Yeah. So moving into the future, and I know this depends on geographic location, but if people continue to go up 25, 30 bucks an hour for different roles, are you saying, based off of what you've said previously, that y'all are relentless about building the best company you can from the inside out and that you know, you're not going to be able to compete exactly 100% across the board with some of the largest companies in the world, but you're going to be close, but you're also going to have a culture and an environment that takes care of the people internally and also gives them what they need to do their work. And then that too, you know, is what you need to do to continue to win and keep up with this growth that you have. Yeah. I, I, I must, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you, I think you have to offer people um, that opportunity and, and, and have faith that, that, um, that you're going to um, improve your business um, to be able to, uh, to continue doing that. I mean, we, we've tried to communicate what our pay policy is so that people don't necessarily, I mean, to, to, to just say, we're, we're, we're going to pay, we're going to pay you fairly, you know? So, so for example, we've moved our starting wages, but we've also moved the wages for the existing people right along with them. So that they have the confidence that, that, um, that, that they're going to get paid a fair wage with, with Parkway. And, 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 you know, they don't have to worry about uh, going down the street to get, to get a raise, you know, we'll, we'll raise them if the market, if the market changes and, and they can have confidence that that's what we're going to do, you know, and that, that engenders loyalty, but that also engenders productivity. I mean, turnover is terribly expensive. When you, when you, when you stop to analyze what it costs you to, to recruit, train, build skills, and what the difference is between a five-year employee versus somebody that just walked in, you know, last week, that performance gap is awfully expensive. It, this just this makes good business sense. Yeah. And, and yes, we can keep up with where the market is because Remember, we're, we're we're providing products that 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 serve a purpose, that have a a place out in the world, and and uh, the demand for them is real. Have you ever thought about what it would have been like to be thirty or so years, forty years, with an internationally publicly traded company versus going out and having a riskier career like you've had and being where you're at today? Not too much. I mean, I uh, I'm a look forward guy, Sam. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> and I always believe that the next place is going to be the best place. And, and uh, I haven't put a lot of thought into that. It, it could be that uh, I would have just found uh, other ways to, to be fulfilled. I don't know. But you, you only have one, one, one life. You got one ticket. I hear you. <laughs> Last question I got. What are you most concerned about from where we're at today? approaching the end of this year and looking into next year relating to growth expansion, you know, rolling out these processes, having these loyal customers that y'all have been able to 
buckle down with throughout the COVID pandemic? What are you most concerned about? Well, I guess I'm most concerned about the thing that we can't, uh, I mean, there, there are things out there that, that we can't see coming. You know, I guess uh, the one thing that we can see coming, um, and, and I don't have a good answer for it today, I'm not happy with my answer today, would be sustainability of engineered plastics. So there, there's good sustainability of commodity grades available. You know, you can, you, you know, PET, um, you know, or HCPE are, are, are fairly easy to recycle. And I can see uh, recycling solutions coming in those areas. But I, I don't yet see uh, true sustainability um, for the, the higher end applications in, in plastic components. And, um, and that's something that I, that I, that I am concerned about and, and, and need to, need to, need to understand better. And I think our whole industry needs to respond to. Are you mainly talking aviation or other types of transportation or what specific field are those parts in on those higher end that you're not satisfied with? Well, yeah, certainly there's a lot of, there's a lot of those parts in aviation, you know, for example, um, there are there are, are materials that have uh, very high heat resistance that are lighter than than metals and and have a lot of neat properties that cannot be re- recycled or cannot be easily recycled. And as a you know, so we, we look to the to the large chemical companies that are that are leading in those areas and look to them for solutions. We as processors need to. Um, drive a whole range of education and and recycling solutions in our facilities but there's a lot of work to do around sustainability and, and there are perception problems around plastics um, that that need to be solved so that we don't um, have um, setbacks as an industry and and as a you know uh, as, as users of this stuff that um, that are that uh, that destroy value yeah what are you most optimistic about or what are you most confident in? Oh, I'm most confident in, um, in, in Parkway and this team of people that we have here. You know, whatever those challenges that we don't understand, that we don't know what they are yet. Uh, I, I'm optimistic that the, the group of people that we have is, uh, is a great group of people that's going to figure out those, uh, those challenges. So I love this team. I, I love the people inside Parkway and I feel optimistic that, that, um, you know, we can, we can handle whatever comes our way. And it sounds like y'all are just putting together something pretty special internally to really, to continue to handle a lot more opportunity. I mean, is that a fair way of looking at it? Absolutely. No, it's, it, it's a fair way of looking at it. And it's, it's, it's our appetite to, to, to grow. And, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're in the process of building out a three to five year plan that, that, uh, that uh, takes us to, to the next level. And that growth is something that I'm, 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 I'm very excited about. Yeah. This has been fun. Uh, it's fun to kind of hear, hear about that moment and hear about where it's gone since, but then hear about all this experience that's compounded on top of itself and bringing light and recognition to a space and work that's often overlooked and discounted, but it's the backbone of the lives that we all live. And so, and then just knowing you personally, and understanding how you think, how you're wired, coming in and you know preparing something to take it to a whole new level, it'll be fun to see over the next few years. And I'm grateful that 
you know, you spent some time this afternoon because uh, it's been a good episode. And I also think it's valuable just to a lot of different industries and how you've gone about seeing things coming in and really just creating a tempo of change and progress, but also bringing on a lot of people alongside it. Thanks, Sam. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you and what you do. Hey, everybody. Since you've made it this far in the show, I wanted to share with you something that you may love. A few months ago, I was asked to interview a close friend's grandmother who's in her 90s. She lives outside of the United States, and this is a way to get to the heart of her and capture her life in a way that could stay with the family for generations to come. This interview was an absolute blast, and it brought tremendous joy and value to this family. Since then, I started doing this for others. If you have someone you love or know of someone whose story and life you'd love to capture in an interview, go to mystorytold.org to learn more. My team and I would love to discuss this with you further. Finally, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Driven By Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. Please subscribe to the show and you can follow me on social, on Twitter and Instagram to join me for future episodes of the Driven By Podcast. Hope you have a great week and see you next time.